0: Welcome to the Efficient Spend podcast where we help marketers turn media spend into revenue. My guest today is John Gargiulo. John, thank you for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you and uh, just for full transparency, um, you are the the founder and uh, CEO of, of Ready Set. Um, I am an active Ready Set client through a company that I work for full time, um, and it's been a, a great experience. And so I have a lot of firsthand experience into into uh, Ready Set and what you do. But before we get into that and really into the weeds, would love if you could give the audience just a high level overview of of who you are and, and what you do.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm John. Uh, Originally, I was a brand guy, so I went to Miami Ad School to be a creative, uh, did the copywriting program there, and worked in the New York agency life for a few years um, doing TV, radio, and print, Uh, and then fast forward to 2011, came out here to Silicon Valley from New York, and uh, joined uh, Airbnb in 2016, ended up leading parts of marketing there, and in about 2018, 19, I started seeing this huge gap between like brand world that I came from and performance pivot tables and spreadsheets. And if it doesn't pay back in 30 days, why would I do it world? And there's like totally different people in both, literally different buildings at Airbnb. Um, and, and I had this kind of a fortunate field of vision where I worked with both uh, uh, leaders of each. And I thought, man, I, I get both sides, but I I feel that's rare. And I feel like they don't really get each other. And as Facebook and TikTok, all these things started becoming a really big part of people's marketing mix and the rise of direct-to-consumer, fintech, et cetera, um, just saw this gap in the middle. So teamed up with Sam McAlew, my co-founder, who came out of Nanigans, the biggest Facebook marketing partner and platform in their day. And he's the performance side of the house. I'm the creative production, let's scale this thing side. Uh, he's an amazing also COO. Uh, And we started ReadySet in October, 2019. Uh, Now we're over 200 people, fully bootstrapped, work with awesome brands like you guys, DoorDash, hims and hers and and others.
0: Um, During your time at Airbnb, you were working as a a global product marketing lead, right? Yes. I definitely want to get into the ReadySet experience in in detail, but obviously Airbnb is a brand that a lot of folks uh, know what were you responsible for for there? Um, and yeah, what, what was your kind of role at, at Airbnb?
1: Yeah, it changed a bunch. So when I joined, uh, there was this newish thing called Airbnb for Work with this crazy idea in 2016 that maybe when you go to Tokyo or New York, instead of staying at the big Midtown hotel, you stay at a really cool apartment in the Lower East Side. Uh, that was very foreign to a lot of people. Uh, even now, I mean, we figured out quickly it doesn't make sense for a one night stay, uh, but just being the first marketing hire, the first B2B marketing hire at Airbnb, telling that story was really super fun. Um, and then ended up leading the product marketing team generally there. Um, it's funny, product marketing, one of the first things uh, my, my boss our CMO asked me to do is, hey, can you go figure out what the hell is this product marketing thing? He's a genius brand guy, incredible human being. And I found out it means something different everywhere. Um, but, you know, ostensibly product marketing is... Uh, my friend put this really well is the product manager stands back to back with the product marketer. The product manager is looking at the engineers and stakeholders and what we can do internally. The product marketing manager is looking out at the audience. Who is this really for? Who does this matter to? Um, let me talk to them and get to know them and they work together. That's how it's supposed to work anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, um, was there anything kind of unique about the the team structure at Airbnb, just being at such a you know um, fast growing company, um, anything around what their management philosophy was like, team structure was like, uh, that you took away from being at such a top tier kind of organization? Oh man,
1: so many things. I think the biggest thing about being at a, a hyper growth place like that is, I got to remember the exact phrasing because I'm going to... Butcher it, but there was a tweet a few years ago, it said what it's actually like, what it's actually like inside a hyper growth startup. And this was during the go-go days, like 2021, this tweet. It must've been from Lord of the Rings or something. It's a big tree and there's a big sliver in it. And there's just fire and brimstone like going on in there. It's just total chaos. And I wouldn't say it was total chaos. Brilliant people there, great culture, um, smart people, but um, just things you wouldn't believe. I guess my favorite example that sort of crystallizes this some, we had a huge party in LA. Flew in the entire company to launch Airbnb Experiences in 2017. I hadn't been there very long. There was a. There was a. I heard that. Hey, after the Brian's big speech, we're all going up to the Hollywood Hills. We rented a whole house. Anyways, I'm standing. It's very surreal. I'm standing in this pool next to this guy who started, you know, seven months before me, and uh, just chatting, mid-level guy. And he goes, I. He goes, Yeah, I just came back from Cupertino uh, before this trip. I said, Oh, what? He said, oh, well, I guess Apple had been trying to reach out to the company for months because they wanted us to update our app, uh, you know, profile or whatever. And nobody, we don't have anybody who does App Store stuff. So uh, they were just like, hey, can you you just go down there and talk to them? He's like, there were like 12 people there. I thought, are you kidding? You know, he's a good friend of mine. I'm like, there's nobody here because I had come from the world before Airbnb where whether you're a fintech app or a mobile game, your Apple relationship with that rep, like that's 80% 80% of the company. So there were so many examples like that, Paul. That just like, wow, this place is growing so fast. There's such product market fit. But if people knew all of the things we're not doing, uh, they'd be amazed.
0: Sure. Um, and and you kind of started off the conversation with explaining a little bit about your uh, the the reasons be behind starting Ready Set and and why that mattered and kind of bringing uh, bridging the uh, the gap between brand and performance. Was any of that happening at Airbnb, was your experience at Airbnb um, in any way, part of the reason why you started ReadySet or? Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny you
1: ask because I just um, heard from a friend who's the head of uh and uh, a financial planning and analysis. He was the head of it for marketing uh, back then. And this poor guy is brilliant. He had to bop back and forth between the performance building I mentioned and that 200 person team and the nine figures they were spending and look at all the math, you know, how much should we invest here and how much is coming back and how are we attributing? They tried forever to get a multi-touch model working that never worked. And then the brand team and our goals were literally like, well, we think we can get 50% payback in three years. It's just so hard to measure brand, right? Especially then. Um, And uh, I remember he was, you know, in the sort of our den of this marketing leadership team meeting and He was saying, look, these guys are making back all their money and then some like really fast. What are you guys doing? And I was the guy banging the table for multiple of these meetings saying, hey, but we're building the brand. You plural are more likely to click on a Airbnb ad than an Acme shoes ad. Like that is really helping those other guys. And by the way, we're all the same company. Um, And they did a couple tests to try to show that, but it was just really hard to connect. So I feel a bit bad for the higher parts of the funnel because, and I saw this there, as I just said, like on the ground, because there's a lot that ought to be attributed to them. That's just always going to be too fuzzy to figure out. Um, But there's no question in my mind, the payback, the CAC, all of that for all of the hundreds of millions we were spending on performance advertising would not have been the same if there wasn't this really trustworthy Airbnb
0: brand. And so is that, you know, does that kind of create this ready set, uh, philosophy of really high quality video ads? Cause you're still very performance focused, right? Um, absolutely informed that. that that that's what informed it is. I saw that
1: gap between the two, literally the two buildings. And then I started, as I talked to people to see if there was a product here, it's ha- was happening at so many companies. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had, especially like, um, Folks like VPs, CMOs are looking at their marketing department and they're like, sometimes it's worse. They're like, I can't get my performance folks and my brand people to like have a, you know, thoughtful, productive conversation. I think that's improving a lot. Um, But yes, we saw this big gap and you're absolutely right. Our feeling was, look, brand matters for all the reasons I said. You don't want to ruin the Airbnb brand with crappy ads, which is a little bit of what was happening. However, performance matters too. And, you know, the point of marketing is to make more money than you spend over time. And we ought to do something that doesn't ruin a brand. And there were some other agencies out there that were almost famous for sort of putting out ruiny stuff, um, but that also performs and, and has a point. It isn't just for its own sake. You don't forget. I came from the brand world where it was completely subjective. You know, when I was in advertising, it was it was like the Mad Men days. You know, uh, you know, I like to say if the CMO's wife or husband thought a commercial we just spent a million dollars on was funny then you got, you know, a retainer for another year. That That's crazy. Um, so it just, it just fascinates me, the gulf between that world, which still exists, and has a place, I think it'll get a lot smaller, and the like hardcore performance world with sophisticated Facebook marketers that are like, I don't even know those guys and I, they're out to lunch.
0: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And you know, I I, th- I think I've talked to a lot of folks about this, the over-reliance on um, strong channels with attributed data, putting all of your dollars there, and then um, to a certain extent, spend cannibalization happening, audience cannibalization happening, reaching the same folks over and over. And so the solution is media mix modeling. The solution is more of a, a full funnel philosophy on, on things. Um, the space that you play in with Readyset and your client base from what I can tell is like mostly disruptor brands that are trying to figure this out. Is that a correct characterization? Would you say that you play mostly in this kind of like disruptor D2c consumer startup uh, kind of kind of world? Okay? yep,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's it's hyper growth, uh, although 2023 here it's more like hold on to growth <laughs> um, uh, companies in many cases. Uh, companies just like you and I are picturing right now, just yeah, like some of the the logos I mentioned.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and why don't we talk about that for a second? Um, holding on to growth, right? Because when I joined um, Self in, in June 2020, um, we experienced hyper growth. And I think a lot of folks in the space were. And and now uh, there's a, a lot of competition. There's a lot of disruption. Uh, there's less budget to play with that type of thing. Uh, throughout your client base, how are you seeing folks respond to that?
1: Oh, I think it really varies depending on the space the client is in, depending on what they were doing before. Um, So, you know, hims and hers is crushing it. Their stock is way up, Um, but they've got a really great suite of products, really incredible execution, Um, and just a product that, you know, it's a subscription product that people don't stop subscribing to. Uh, By the same token, we have other clients that have... um, Like, unfortunately, uh, they were never a client, but I just saw Molecule file for Chapter 11, right? There's people that have a thing to sell, uh, especially something like Molecule that's a high price point, can be difficult with paid social, that were spending seven figures a month on on paid social. None of it ever profitable. And then they're waking up to this. It's like uh, Warren Buffett says, uh, it's not till the tide goes out. You see who's wearing a bathing suit. You know, they're, they're caught with no bathing suit. Um, and then everybody's crouched down a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know almost anybody who's pushed the throttle forward on spending, certainly not for revenue sake, in the last year and a half. It's mostly been pulling back uh, with a few key exceptions. And then on the fintech side, I was talking to a, a also never been a client, but almost been a couple times and they were uh, we were at a party at MAU uh, two MAUs ago, and they were spending three million a month. and then the next MAU, Uh, He said, hey, we've frozen. We're figuring it out. We stopped spending. We're going to go back to it. I caught up with him a couple months after that. He said, we're at $0 still indefinitely. You know, we're we're existentially wondering if this channel works for us. So, um, but then we have other fintech clients that are still chugging along and scaling. So it, it really varies depending on the space in the company.
0: Right. It, it sounds like uh, in some circumstances, and I know that we're taking this approach, um, it's a philosophy of diversification, not only in your channel mix, but in your product mix and your pricing and and things like that. And if you're over-relying on one product and you think that's just gonna work forever, it's probably not the case.
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah, it, it's even more true in B2B, but it is true in B2C. It's like way better to sell new products to the same people. Like that's what Hims and Hers has done really well, right? They have this ED drug that's really popular and they're like, "Hey, are you having problems losing your hair? You know, Rogaine-style foam is uh, off patent, right? We can help you with that as well." Those companies have done really well.
0: Yeah, um, it's even kind of what what you're doing too launching new companies and launching new products, right? Um, which we'll get into in a in a bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of like our relationship from from a high level. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to discuss, I was in sup- I was super impressed by. The onboarding process at Ready Set. Um, this podcast is very focused on media mix optimization, um, how to be as efficient as possible with your marketing spend, right? And production cost is one lever and, and one layer of that, one part of that component. Um, the onboarding process, I feel, very kind of kind of like the Abraham Lincoln quote, right? Um, you know, if you, you want to spend most of your time kind of sharpening the axe, uh, how did you think through this onboarding process and, and you know, with this end goal of, we have this really good client relationship, we understand the product really well, um, and we can go out and produce great content for it?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked. I'm laughing because it was not always so great. Um, one of our five core values and if I attribute the success of Set to anything, it's our, our core values, which are very much us, very contrarian. You know, you asked earlier about what I learned from Airbnb. It was absolutely that core values that are really genuine matter, and happy to talk about that. But um one of them is hashtag get better. And this came out of when it was just the two of us, a client would be upset about something or whoa, I thought this, but it's that, and and we'd say, okay, let's fix it. And then you know, he'd slack me, hashtag get better, you know. And 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 that comes from if we can just keep improving, we can always um, you know, outlast the competition. In terms of the onboarding uh, process, it's gone through a lot of iteration. I think the principles behind it, as far as Sam and I are concerned, are first listening. I think a lot of agencies just bomb in and say, oh, this is the playbook. And they plop it down on the table and they just go. And the brand is like, hey, wait, where are you going? That's not us at all. And by the way, we tried that last year. And so I think just being humble and listening. A lot of our clients are very sophisticated and know their stuff and like yourself and tried things. So that's step one. And then um, being organized. One thing we invest in, I was going to say over invest in, but I don't think it's over investing, is we have an incredible operations team. We have an incredible project management team. We have a shipping and receiving team for products. Like those are things that not everybody does. They'll often just have a poor, you know, creative strategist two years out of school trying to do all of it. And that's when you hear these horror stories about, you know, we left that agency after three weeks because it was a terrible onboarding experience. And then lastly, I think understanding not only the company, but the customer, who is the person that we're talking to? We're about to make these ads. This is a major engagement. A lot is on the line. The company's trying to grow. If we don't understand as deeply as possible, as quickly as possible, who is the persona or multiple personas that this brand is going towards and what attracts them? If we just try to slap on a bunch of, well, you know, this type of hook works for our, you know, air purifier client for a fintech. I think that's the wrong approach. So it's taken a lot of uh in, in iterations, but I think we've gotten to a place that's sort of balanced all those things.
0: Right. Um and throughout this, uh, your kind of client mix, you know, scaling the the production over time, I wonder how you how you think about that. Um and I guess from a more from a creative testing perspective, something that we've done is we've iterated a lot on our roadmap, how we think about testing different themes, uh, different products, and and kind of a, a, a nice mix. Um, when you talk to a, a startup or or a new client, and you think about scaling creative testing, do you have any philosophy or or kind of like framework you deploy there?
1: Yeah, we do have a framework. It's funny, in terms of a philosophy, we do have one. But I find that the different religions among different growth leaders are fascinatingly divergent. Like we have a uh, uh, um, we have a meal delivery kit company, you definitely know. And I remember on the first call, the VP of growth, uh, and they've been very successful, said, I really don't like to try more than eight new things a month. I'm spending the seven figures, but like it's eight things. We have a custom hair care client, big D2C company, and they were proudly telling us how they tried 541 things last month. Both people are really smart. Their brands are respected, they've both done well. So I don't feel, you know, as much as I've seen across so many clients, I don't really feel it's my place to tell either one they're wrong. I think it depends on the, on the company. Um, some people are super into iterations and changing out the hooks. Some people are super into completely net new concepts. I do think I will give a point of view here You can, you plural can overdo the net new thing. I find, and I I understand this, we have clients, and this has happened more more than a few times that are like, awesome, we're getting high performing ads. Great, that one's doing well. This one's taking up a huge amount of our spend. Now it's been a couple months. We've been iterating on those, leaning into those messages, leaning into that persona, you know, like, I'm being cynical here, you know, I want to bring something new to the all hands. Like, can can we try like a deep pass over here or over there? And yeah, we can. And sometimes deep passes connect. And maybe we'll knock this one that's working off its perch because it just feels odd to like have the same thing working. And we've all had that one ad that inexplicably goes and goes and goes. Um, But I find it's sort of a rational, but also definitely irrational urge to like, uh, let's do something new. Um, so, you know, in general, I think if there's a contrarian hot take here, it's that iterations are kind of unsexy hitting the same, you know, part of the field over and over again, doesn't feel very exciting over a long period of time. We do find that's where a rich source of performance can come from.
0: Yeah, I I try to, uh, take a a kind of stance of maybe 80% iteration, 20% net new, um, Not only in creative testing, but channel testing, media mix optimization more broadly, like looking for those incremental wins. Um, When it comes down to what you're actually iterating on, that's where it gets interesting. If you have a champion ad, how do you dissect? What component of this makes it a champion ad? Where do we want to iterate? and And then what?
1: Yeah. And I I have something on that too. I think that's exactly right. Typically, because we've tested uh, millions of things, typically it's the message uh, that is the thing that's working. Typically, it's not the fact that it's uh, someone squishing a ball of clay. Typically, it's what they're learning from it. We've got a whole bunch of frameworks. Uh, One of my favorites and one of the ones that works the most often is we call useful information delivered uniquely. You know, it's when you find yourself watching that ad and you're learning a lot about, this thing or something about the space, um, typically that's that's what works. The other thing that works a lot is simply an offer, right? Like, oh, the first time we did that 40% off BFCM ad, it's just crushed it. And of course that's got a a time limit to it. But, you know, as I've said for four years, if two ads are going up against each other, a really awesome ad and a really okay ad that says 30% off, it's really hard to beat that second one.
0: Right. Where does quality come in there though? Um, Because to your point, I do think messaging is often the thing that leads to the conversion. Um, But I feel like there's other elements of your cup that need to be filled up. Um, And it's also kind of dependent on what the competition is saying and the quality of their ads as well. Sometimes I think years ago, you would say it's all about UGC and We saw success with, you know, uh, uh, kind of grainy testimonial ads that said something that were very unique. Um, I'm not sure they would work as well today due to quality issues. So, yeah. Well, and the quality
1: issues, even if it does work like it can bring down the brand again. if Like I don't even try to pitch Airbnb because I don't think their brand is so sort of highfalutin and pixel perfect and designy that the kind of stuff we do, however high quality it is for a UGC world, I think would potentially diminish the brand. I mean, we could do it, but I also just know them and they, they have the money and would rather spend it on that beautiful kind of uh, a look and feel. I remember actually our CMO saying, I was proposing uh, doing some mid funnel education ads. I actually looked up our PM on uh, a little sidetrack here, but it's fun, uh, on uh, customer service, like all the message boards inside airbb.com, people were asking questions. And I asked him for a breakdown of what are the what are the most asked things. And far and away, one of them at the time was, "Why do you need my phone number? I'm trying to sign up for Airbnb, but why do you need my phone number? And there were actually some really good reasons why we needed it. So I, I just took the top five of those and I wanted to put out a bunch of ads on social about, hey, you know, breaking down those obstacles. And he pounded the table. He said, no. He said, the, the goal is not to like, you know, explain this, explain that, right? Nike Apple, you don't see them doing that either. So he made a good point. The goal is to make the brand so desirable, so beautiful and incredible, you just want to be a part of it, that you just ignore that stuff. So that's a whole other level. I think what you're talking about is, yeah, I know that grainy, gross even uh, uh, stuff that can really bring down a brand that's just trying to be uh, you know, something you can trust. I equate brand often with trust. And I agree with you. I think the asterisk for me is, does it look like an ad? And that's a really hard line to, to, to straddle because the moment it starts looking too polished, um, then we turn off and we're like, okay, this is another ad. Um, so it's got to be high quality. I you know, was thinking about that word as you said it. I think of quality as authenticity, even if it is a, a kind of a grainy thing. If it's like, I really believe this is a real person who really had this problem, really used this app. And I have that same problem. This person seems really genuine and compelling. That's very hard, by the way. We've all seen movies with actors paid millions
0: who are not crossing that bar. Um, that's quality to me, especially. Sure. Um, let me ask about that, because uh, there's elements of, as you can be a little bit more on the emotional side, and then you can be a little bit more data-driven for B2B brands, for fintechs, um, for brands that are that have kind of a, a technical product. How do you think about the divergence between those two, right? Uh, Having a customer with with a, a pain point and, and a challenge, we're solving that that problem um, and want to just want to tell a story around that in an asset versus we have these these features and these bullet points. And we want to try to get in those in there because we think those will work too. Well, you just
1: said it. I think if you can couch those features and those things in the storytelling, in the personal stories. So we classify it into three sort of ways to look at an ad. It's personal, it's a personal pitch or it's a pitch. Uh, you don't want the second two. So a pitch would be, hey, we're so-and-so, or look at our features, look at our thing, look at our app, right? And we, we see tons of those. It's very tempting. Like it's probably obvious to us and everyone on the call on, on this uh, podcast, well, well, no one does that. If, if you, plural, look at your own ads, there's probably a lot of pitches in there. And then there's the personal pitch, where it's like there's a half, you know, sort of attempt to be personal. Um, but it's a pitch. Often you you see the word you in this, like, hey guys, you've got to try this app. I use it, it's great, blah, blah, but you, you can do this, you can do that. It feels like they're trying to be personal, but they're basically pitching. Personal is where the gold is, and personal is you don't even think you're watching an ad. Someone is just using a lot of I, my statements, which we're really big on at ReadySet, and they're saying like, I could not get a car loan to save my life. I got rejected five times, check out this piece of paper. I was told this, like, can you believe they said that about me? Um, and then, you know, they're they're at their car. Like, I don't even need a nice car, but I, I'm leaning in. I'm, I'm I'm learning about this person. I'm watching the story. And then maybe at the end, they mentioned offhandedly that they used whatever app to find the best loans and, and, you know, they've solved their problem. That's what you're going for. And you can fold in some of those things. I didn't have to pay any interest. It was amazing. Like, I, you know, the other guys all wanted interest. Like, so I think that That is where you get that in is not a pitch, not a personal pitch, but the personal, and you can weave in those things without pitching them.
0: Yeah. How how do you respond then to uh, channel best practices that can maybe make that storytelling a little bit harder? To give you an example, YouTube pre-roll, you want to get your brand in the first couple seconds, right? And sometimes like TikTok will say, uh, um, you know, uh, don't make ads make TikToks, right? And um, it's a it's a funny thing because you know that the majority of your uh, the the majority of the viewership on the ad is maybe only getting four seconds in, five seconds in. So, do you want to try to just get get your name in there, or are you confident in kind of being a little bit patient and telling that story a little bit?
1: Longer? It depends. On, and I hate to say it depends, but it depends on the aim, right? Because it's true, ninety nine percent of people are not going to engage with a click on your ad. And so, well, at least all those 99%, which might be millions of people, saw our logo, registered it, maybe, right? And then that fits a brand goal. Uh, That's aided awareness, right? In your case, self, do you recognize this? Yes, that number goes up if you take that approach. At the same time, we've done a lot of tests on this. Showing a logo, is almost nothing says add more than a logo in the bottom right corner, right? Um, So it it depends on the aim.
0: Right. if you had to quantify uh, across all of Ready Set clients, how many assets your team has produced, what do you think that number would be? All time? Yeah.
1: I mean, I can tell you this, we have quietly amassed the world's largest library of vertical video UGC style clips. We have something with all of our clients that says, "Hey, anything that's about you shows your logo, shows your product, talks about your product. You own that in perpetuity, which is what you know anyone cares about." The thing with the woman plopping down on the couch and glancing at her phone from an ad that didn't work in 2019, you know, reverts to us eventually, uh, you know, years later. We have just crossed 300,000 just of those clips because I was wondering of say tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Um, so I would say in the high tens of thousands of ads, it'd actually be really funny and fun to put all of them together in one folder. Now with AI, you can probably like read all of the captions on all of them and learn from them, you know?
0: Yeah, what, what are you looking to do with those assets eventually?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into, do you want to go to AI, the AI future?
0: I guess, I guess before we go into the AI future, um, I want to know across those tens of thousands of, of ads and that, uh, you know, do you have, do you have any favorites? Do you have any that, that you, you you know, remember, or I'm sure that you don't touch everything. Right. But. Oh, um,
1: tons of favorites. Or
0: even like anything internal. I mean, do you have a, I I wonder, like, does your team have kind of a meeting where you show, Hey, like this is a really good ad from this brand or that brand, you know, whatever.
1: All right. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this one in my peril because I think there may be a competitor of yours, but we did an ad for Bridget. Yeah. I mean, absolutely has creamed it. Major seven figures on this one asset. CEO loves it. We love it. And what was cool about it when I talked about pitch, personal pitch and personal, it is like beyond personal. Genius creative strategists on our team did this. Wow. Um, and it's very TikTok-y, though it killed it on Facebook as well. And it's he's he's walking into another room uh, and he says, Hey, watch this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask my girlfriend to borrow money. And you just see like it's going through a hallway of like an apartment in these Village or something. He says, "Hey, babe. Hey, and it's on her. It's on her laptop. You just feel like you're in the apartment with them, like you're watching a TikTok, basically." And uh, he says, "Can I borrow, you know, $200?" She, she's like, "No. Um, why?" And he's like, no, "Never mind. I'll just go ask Bridget." And then you hear her go, "Bridget, who's who? The F is Bridget. It's bleeped out. It says this thing." He's like, "No, don't worry, babe. It's this thing. It's like an app." And she's like, "Well, you're gonna have to pay tons of interest. Like, you better not do that. As an app. She's like, "No, there's no interest." So they're just having a conversation, and it's super native. Paul, it's like super native. There's no logo, there's no anything, there's no captions. Um, and people just watched it and were like, I wanna know what that app is. So I love that example just because it's so not the kind of advertising Mad Men style that I learned in ad school, you know?
0: Yeah, um, we're about to uh, attest uh, kind of something similar, um, uh, a proposal uh, gone bad. And, you know, it's we uh, we we just actually reshot this um, really beautiful scene. The uh, the guy's about to bend down on one need and uh, hold up. What's your credit score? There you go. Um, which I think it's a, to your point, it's that same thing of, okay, we're probably not in, in your case, really fun play on words with Bridget. Like that's super cool. Um, we might not get self in that first couple of seconds, but people want to watch and want to listen and see the rest of that story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea. And one of my, When I was in ad school, I did learn something that's applicable here, which is we were learning how to write long copy. For anyone who remembers like magazine ads or whatever, there'd be that headline and then there'd be a few paragraphs at the bottom. Um, And what I learned was, what is the goal of your first sentence? The goal of your first sentence is to get people to read your second sentence. What is the goal of your second sentence? Goal of your second sentence is to get people to read the third sentence. And that's all it is. So it doesn't have to be in the first sentence. You know what I mean? Um, you just have to make something watchable and interesting. I think that's where so many advertisers fall down. They're just like, well, I'm, doing ad- I'm an advertiser. I'm doing ads. I need to put, like you said, all my features and I'll put a bunch of bullet points. And then I've done my job. Look, boss, I made ads. And then they don't work and they wonder why. But what you just described is a much better approach.
0: Right. Um, I love that. Cool, so uh, yeah, you have hundreds of thousands of, of clips now and and uh, what the hell are you doing with all, with all that?
1: Yeah, so believe it or not, I did not. we did not foresee AI hitting as a DAS um, and it's been an incredible tailwind to what I'm about to describe. But our vision is that everything you and I've talked about when it comes to creative, video creative in particular, um, can and will be productized. Somebody is gonna do it, I'll explain what I mean and we'd like to be the ones to do it for better or worse in the world. And what I mean is today, if you want that Bridget ad, if you want um, you know, a, a flip the script or problem solution style framework of UGC that's 38 seconds where they're showing the product and walking through it, blah, 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 voiceover driven, you need to hire an agency, you need to work with influencers, there's a lot of cost involved, there's a lot of time involved and you gotta get it right, um, expertise. We believe that all of these ads are really... Uh, component parts that are put together. Um, my co founder came up with a great metaphor. It's like there's a kitchen, there's a pantry, and that's where all the ingredients are. That's where the 300,000 clips are kept. That's where um, voiceovers, et cetera, all the captions, all the things, emojis you can possibly put on a screen. And when you watch an ad, just watch. It's all just ingredients. And then the rub is how do you take those ingredients and put them together into a dish that when you send it out to the floor, people actually eat it? Right. And today we do that manually. We don't even look in the pantry. We say, no, 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 we're going to go to the farm. We're going to, you know, get the the, 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 the ingredients. We think this is going to work. And then maybe they like it, maybe they don't. I think in the future, and I don't think it's that far away, AI will do all of this. So in order for AI to do its work, it needs context. It needs the recipes, at least some guidance on recipes that have worked. And we have that as well. And then it needs the ingredients and nobody else has that. So you'll see an AI startup a week saying they're doing something with paid social, or whatever. First, if you scratch the surface, they, they're almost all unusable, and I scratch the surface of every one of them. But they're all missing the footage; they don't have that. So, lastly, we do these three—we call them 360. This is not even out yet, but it will be. We do a lot of uh, what we call these 360 shoots. So, incremental to all that footage, we get an actor in our. 10,000 square foot LA studio outside of it, et cetera. And we shoot hundreds and hundreds of things of them doing things over two days. And then we have them saying hundreds of things. And it turns out, and and I encourage anyone listening, when you watch the next 10 ads on Instagram or TikTok, it's mostly people doing and saying similar things, right? And you've got to fill it in with voiceover over B-roll, often of product of them describing your product. So I'll give you a simplistic example. Let's say we have a young woman, um, you know, uh, um, in her nice apartment in front of her marble countertop, and there's a whip pan to her, and she says, you guys have to, I don't like the you, like, I can't believe how much this changed the way I look at skincare, okay? And now you see clips of a product, you see clips of her putting a white cream on her face, you see clips of her out on a jog, great B-rolling clips that are all in the pantry, right? Um and you hear her continue to talk all about, you know, whatever the brand, uh, Neutrogena's new skincare line. But all the things she's saying under that B roll, she never said. It's all AI voice cloning, which has gotten to an A plus level. It is indistinguishable. Um, the script was written by AI based on what are all the ads that have succeeded before, what framework are we using, et cetera. And then the clips are pulled with AI. It even writes the script, Paul. And we have, we've done this now internally. Based on what it knows we have, client can upload all their stuff. And so it's pulling those clips. And the hardest part we're finding so far, engineering wise, we've got over 15 engineers working on this full time for two years now. We've invested a lot in this, is where to make the cuts. We've had some breakthroughs there. You know, they have to make the cuts like a real editor. And then, you know, if there's emojis or captions of what she's saying, et cetera, you put those on and you have an ad. Can we do this right now? No. Um, we. Just the latest one I saw that was like a super MVP that was completely AI made for Hims internally. None of us would put out into the world, but it's not that far off. Um, so I hope I hope that you can visualize what I'm describing. But essentially, two years from now, if not sooner, you will be able to log in to a platform, ours hopefully, see an ocean of already baked ads, and you know you can filter them. I want unboxing. I want one that shows an offer. And, and, and in the long run, we we want you to even be able to talk to them and say, yeah, I like that one, but more about Black Friday. Right. And it's done. And it's democratized for everybody.
0: In terms of the uh, data inputs that, that you're using, um, to what extent are you actually getting data from the ad networks to say, this is good, do more of this? Or is it more? I, I I see your competitive advantage of you're building this kind of like asset library, um, but yeah. What are the other data points that are that are inputs into this machine?
1: I think that's at first just being able to make an ad. I keep telling our team, I don't care if it's horrible, but just like calling you up, which I will one day, and say, Paul, please check this out. And there's 183 ads, or you know, 183,000 for self, and you're scrubbing through them. And I think of it. I hate to use this word, like stock video in the sense that you don't click on one sunset when you're looking for a sunset and say, yeah, you write an email to Shutterstock saying, can you make it let more red? You just skip over that one and do the one that you like, right? So it's okay to have bad ones. Um, so I'm just trying to get to a place where you can see a viable UGC style ad, eventually connected TV ads. We can get to that if you want. Um, that are, you know, that you will look at as a sophisticated performance marketer and go, that thing is not just as good a chance of working as this other thing that this, you know, whomever is spending weeks and lots of money on. That's step one. I think what you're keying in on is what my co-founder keys in on, which is the data modes that can be involved. Learning over time, right? Making sure competitors can only catch up to where we were, um, what is working, what's performing and building that whole loop. And, and it's been interesting. Eric Sufer and I think Adam Lavallo have published on this recently. Eric kind of painted a vision of the future where creative is just part of it. Like Smartly, and some companies have already done this with images and swapping in a different picture or something, but imagine with video, the production, the ideation, what we're testing, did it work, did it not? You know, you're just getting a notification the next day of you know, the types of creative that's working and you can go up to the next level of whatever's important to work on three years from now.
0: I wonder if uh, if the the Googles and Facebooks of the world might try to do this as well and I don't actually know if they if they own those assets like if you upload an ad to the ad library would they be able to take that
1: hell no definitely not if they took a Reebok thing I don't care if it's a woman flopping down on a couch with a phone and used it in Nike ad they'd be in big trouble um, and that is that is what we're betting on look nanigans got usurped by Facebook Facebook threw them hundreds of clients made them almost go public and then tapped them on the shoulder literally in a meeting at Facebook and said, guys, we love you. It's been great five years. We're going to build all this uh, stuff as well. Uh, and so, you know, that can happen. You do not want to be dependent on a platform that could build the same features. What I am very confident in is that none of these platforms want to go open a studio and shoot, pick it what I call, pick up a camera. It doesn't scale. Google tried to do it with YouTube. They even just tried to have a network of like videographers you could meet. I, 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 uh, Having to be friendly with the head of uh, YouTube for advertisers, she said, "I just didn't scale. They got rid of it. So as long as we're the ones with the footage and it's the right footage, right? It's not a stock library. And I was surprised, Paul. Like, if you go to Shutterstock and just try to look for like, I just want a nine by sixteen of a twenty-something uh, guy looking at his phone and smiling in a non-cheesy way, in a you know, by the ocean. Good luck. It's all terrible. It's all very shiny. Um, so we often say like that that the asset library is really our moat."
0: Um, and I guess an a, a obvious question there is then, will you continue to get raw footage? And what, uh, where is there still a place for a $100,000, you know, highly produced TV asset? Or will that shift over time? And I guess uh, to another ex- extent there, um, something I'm thinking about, you know, I haven't done a, a lot of high production celebrity Kind of like Super Bowl style ads, is is that space also going to be innovated? To me, it feels like components will. Um, but yeah, will we still be spending a quarter of a million dollars on a Super Bowl ad? More
1: cynicalness for me, I think the answer is yes, there will always be some of that because of ego. It's really fun to be like, hey, look, I'm a CMO, I want to go hang out with Taylor Swift and make an ad for five million dollars. Literally going to Thanksgiving and saying, I made it to ad with Taylor Swift for $5 million. No cousin is going to go, what was the return on ad spend over the, you know, they're just going to go, woohoo, you are awesome. Um, so I have seen that world on the brand side. It's still mostly the same. They had a huge scare in 2020, and 2021 when Facebook just looked invincible. And it's like, why would you spend on anything else? Even Airbnb squenched their brand spend, threw it all over to performance. They're, they are famously now sloshing back the other way. Um I think uh, there will always be Super Bowl ads. Right now, Paul, it's a huge part of advertising spend in the world. Um, uh, those big brandy things, and I think that that will get smaller. They've gotten a bit of a reprieve because you know the narrative of two years ago that like this is all a waste of money. We're over here on Facebook and Google, definitely making it back. Aren't we awesome? That was really hard for that world to face. Now it's now with uh, ATT and everything. It's like oh, whoops. We don't really know anymore exactly what's happening. So let's go back to media mix modeling and these, you know, Cantar, um, uh, you know, giant textbooks full of hieroglyphics and, you know, TV becomes more, more uh, attributable. Um, but I do think that'll shrink a lot. And then like back to, you know, my crazy vision for uh, we call it turning any vision into video, even a, even a 16 by nine, eventually, you know, Levitra ad with an older couple walking on the beach, sitting in a bathtub, right? There's no reason those couldn't be ingredients in a pantry. And that whoever the, you know, you become, I think a lot of our sophisticated performance marketer friends will become the next CMOs of these companies, come in and go, yeah, I don't want to spend $3 million they want at Ogilvy Mather to shoot an old couple again. No, uh, let me just check out these 183 things. Oh, there's one that's exactly our messaging hey, can you have it be a little bit tweaked there? The bathtub's a little weird, you know, switch to a different couple. Done. High res, 16, nine, send it over to the CTV guys. Um, and, you know, like Peter Thiel says, it's gotta be 10X better, not 10% better. I think we're talking about 100X better. And again, I think that everything I'm saying is gonna happen. It's just like AI is just too good and, and to, to not have it happen. But um, it'll, take, it'll take a time, a, a while.
0: Yeah, I I think confidently in our lifetimes for sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was actually uh, hanging out with my family last weekend and um, we were discussing ChatGPT and if ChatGPT could replace a therapist. Um, And I I was with them and I was playing around with like, oh, I'm gonna send a message to ChatGPT of, oh, I'm struggling with the career thing, help me. And it gave a very generic answer um, but it doesn't have all the inputs yet. Once it talks to me and knows the history and the context, I think it's going to get a lot better. So,
1: Totally agree. And by the way, for the record, I think most AI stuff that's out right now is not useful. I think there's a whole useful versus cool thing going on right now, and it's all very cool. Even big companies that I respect, like Runway, which is taking a huge swing at just, they, they would say this whole conversation is a joke and they're going to leapfrog all of it way into our earlier in our lifetimes and just be able to type, make me a Super Bowl commercial for Coke and it's just gonna work. I think that'll take 10, 20 years at least. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff out there, there's just not a lot of people retaining, using it every day um, for some of the reasons like you experienced with what you just tried.
0: Right, um, cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. It was really a great conversation. Um, my my last question, and I ask every guest this uh, kind of a two parter. Um, I know you haven't really deployed as much media spend personally uh, in the past couple of years, but you have experience with it. The most efficient spend and inefficient spend uh, that you've deployed in, with media.
1: It is the efficient spend podcast, so I could see why this it is a crowning <laughs> uh, question. So give me give me a few lenses that that you have in mind when you say like channels or frameworks or the way you deploy it or how accounts are set up or what.
0: I would say if you think about just like a like a, a campaign or or you know um, a point in time right uh, that you saw something and you were like wow this this just was super high ROI. I think the Bridget ad was uh, one good example of that, but. Yeah. And then another time that you obviously just uh, (laughs) destroyed very inefficient and complete waste of money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, on the efficient side, because for so long we were so laser focused at Ready Set on vertical video ads for Facebook and Instagram. And that was what we did. Let's do this one thing. Well, that my world was limited to that. And so, I've got a few other examples that are not worth going into about, yeah, Hit, Hims and Hers, or DoorDash, or other ads that are just, absolutely crushed it and clearly are very, very efficient. And I think it's pretty cool. Like you told a marketer 10 years ago, hey, there's going to be this thing where they make this ad for not much money and it's going to make the company millions of dollars. That's really exciting. Um, Since then, ReadySet's gone a lot more horizontal, full service, media buying and strategy, search, et cetera. Um, So I I should have more stories for you uh, in a year or so. Um, Inefficient is when brand marketers try to use Facebook for brand advertising. Um, I'm kind of of two minds about this. Part of me is like, maybe it's a good place to do it if that's your goal. I think what we've seen is the brand folks bomb in and I'm an ex-brand guy and, and, and get get them and love them. And they're like, no, 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 no. What is all this native looking stuff? No, no. You know, I don't care that it's TikTok or Facebook. Here We all need to show this elevated thing, you know, the shiny, the logo, all of that together. And then And and I'll tell you, Paul, I have had CMOs now multiple times I've seen this movie say, John, I know it's probably not going to perform great, but like, it's really important to us or my CEO or whatever. Let's just do it. Turns out every time we do it, it definitely doesn't perform great. And turns out people do care that they just spent a million dollars on something that Facebook is saying you made no money back. It's been very inefficient. So, and I I empathize with them. It's a struggle, Um, you know, full circle back to our High quality, yes, but when I mean brand, when I say brand, you know what I'm talking about, the super shiny, basically um, what I call mini TV commercials on Facebook. It's just not the right place for that. And I've seen a lot of inefficiencies there.
0: Yeah. You watch some of those ads and you're like, what is, what's the takeaway here? You're a little bit confused. Um, Cool. Thank you, John. This was great. Awesome. Great to see you, Paul.